I had two sermons I wanted to preach. And I told Brother Fox to pray for me, and he did, and I chose the wrong one. And if I have not learned one thing in 53 years of the ministry, it's the fact that I better be sure. And the service tonight has let me know exactly which one I should preach. And so I had to send back word to the sound room, change the topic, change the text, and let me preach what I need to preach. And so I believe that I want to preach tonight what I have been teaching to our church because I see it sprouting. I see it germinating here at McCormick's Creek. And I want to add a little more fuel to the fire. I want to water the seed a little more. I want you to continue to worship. And when the Holy Ghost begins to move tonight, I want you to yield to it. Praise God. So if you will tonight, thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for the food. Thank you for everything. I think that covered it. And if it didn't, if I left anything out, just forgive me. And Wednesday night I'll remember it again. Brother and Sister Robertson are our very, very dear friends. So many of you. I told somebody earlier, I feel like I've come home. There is a kindred spirit in this church. Some of you are more like my brothers than my brothers in the flesh. And I look forward to seeing you so much. My dear Brother Fox, who had the unmitigated gall to give me a used golf club because he said it was better than any of the ones that I had because apparently I couldn't play with the ones I had and so he had to leave me a gift. Hallelujah. Oh, God is so good. I'd like to turn your attention in the Word of God tonight to the Gospel according to Mark and reading one verse of Scripture, Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Praise God. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Now that's what your King James Version says. The Living Bible phrases it this way. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. And tonight, I want to preach a little while on radical Christianity. This is something God began to speak to me about several weeks ago, and I have taught it and preached it at Gulfport. And I was hesitant about preaching it here, but I feel a radical spirit in the air. I feel a hunger and a thirst to really fulfill the purpose and the plan of God. And so if you will preach with me tonight, I'll do my best to deliver my heart in the next few minutes. Would you stretch your hands toward the pulpit and ask for God's blessings and liberty? Father, I magnify you and I ask you to give me that anointing that I need so desperately right now. God, I ask you to speak. Oh, Jesus, do it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. It's beyond dispute today that our current youth culture values living on the edge. Young people look out and they esteem very highly those who live on the edge. 
I have seen some of the activities that young people do, and it's radical. It really is. To take a motorcycle and to go up a dirt ramp, to go 40 feet into the air, turn upside down, do handstands on the handlebars, to hit the ground, make another loop and come back and try it again. I found out after my son grew up how radical he was. We have a bridge over the industrial seaway in Gulfport, and it's probably 45 or 50, maybe even more feet from the water. I found out that my son and his friends would park their trucks on the other side of the bridge and come back to the center span of the bridge and jump off. Yeah, radical. That's You talk about living on the edge. I found out that he and his skateboard buddies would take their skateboards to the top of the Hancock Bank, climb the fire escape, get up there and slide along the edge of the rail on top of that building. My God, have you lost your mind, son? Yeah, but Dad, that's radical. You never feel as alive as you... I don't guess so. You're looking over the edge and seeing death in the eye. They call them extreme sports today. Yeah. They have extreme styles. Yeah. Pants on the ground, pants on the ground, looking like a fool with your pants on the ground, yeah. Mm -hmm. Extreme styles. Extreme music. I can't even understand the words half the time. I am not a rap fan. Saturday night a week ago, one of my colleagues at the college had organized a fundraiser for Haiti Relief to donate to Doctors Without Borders. Our praise team was invited to sing, and they did fantastic. They showed them what apostolic-style singing and worship was. I had to sit through the first four groups. Baptized Billy, China Doll, Whale in the Belly, Belly of the Whale in the Belly, Whale, Belly, Whale, Belly. I have no idea. But all the young people in that auditorium were on their feet and swaying and clapping. And I look back at my teenagers in our praise team and they're back against the back wall. All of them are swaying and clapping too. They didn't understand what they were saying, but they said, hey, if they're worshiping, we're going to worship with them. We live in a day of radicalism. Praise God. The bad news is that most of the people who live these radical lifestyles are actually lost without salvation. But the good news is that the apostolic church is better positioned today than it has ever been to reach this extreme generation with the extreme truth about an extreme experience that they can have with an extreme God, with a God that's able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we can think or can ask. You talk about a high. That Holy Ghost high beats anything that the world has to offer. We are in a radical society. And it is time for the apostolic church to undergo a radical change. Now, let me say that again. We're in a radical society, in a radical culture, and we live in a time that the church is standing on the brink of a radical change. 
Brother Robertson and I were talking today and there was a time he made mention of the fact that somebody that was sitting here this morning, and I think you're still here tonight, loves science fiction like I do. And all of this business about antimatter and photon torpedoes and, and Star Wars and Star Trek and, you know, all of this. <laughs> Everything gets quiet because I'm not spiritual right now. <laughs> uh, it's time to get radical. University of Mississippi, my alma mater, is having to drop Colonel Reb as our mascot because he doesn't fit the politically correct image. So they approached, <laughs> they approached the students of the University of Mississippi and said, who do you want for your mascot? And over a thousand students picked a Star Wars character, the Admiral, the one with the ears that hang down. Can you imagine? The rebels take the field and here he comes. <laughs> because he's the admiral over the rebel fleets. <laughs> we live in radical times. Oh, they kicked it out. They didn't want that. So they threw him out too. To store a gigabyte's worth of data 20 years ago, you had to have a machine that was the size of a refrigerator weighing 500 pounds to weigh that uh, today that gigabyte of data lives on a disk the size of a quarter the speed the capacity and the performance of technologies have exploded in the past 30 years they have increased six orders of magnitude that is 10 times 10, times 10, times 10, times 10. Today, we're building machines that are measured in nanometers. And if you need a comparison to understand what a nanometer is, a nanometer compared to an inch is what an inch is compared to 400 miles. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in radical times. Telephone connections are increasing exponentially as well. Half as many landlines were laid in the last six years of the 20th centuries as in the whole previous history of the world. And during that same time, during that same time, the number of active cell phones in the world has grown tenfold. The world has processed more information in the last three years than has been collected before that since the beginning of time. That's radical. The Bible said in the last day knowledge would increase. We're seeing it. We're living in the last days. These are radical times. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get spiritual in a minute, so just hang with me. The definition that the dictionary gives for radical is departing markedly from the usual or the customary, favoring revolutionary changes in current practices, conditions, or institutions. If you were to ask a teenager on the street today what radical means, they would say it means excellent. It means wonderful. But let me give you a little lesson in theology. The word radical in Latin literally means having roots. Going back to the roots or to the basics. Reaching to the center. Reaching to the foundation. Reaching to the origins, reaching the principles, going back to the ultimate source. I want you to know it's time for apostolic Pentecostal Christians to become radical. To go back to our roots and to understand the purpose and the plan of the Almighty God for the church of the living God. Apostolic 
Christianity was never intended to be a religious experience. Jesus Christ and His apostles instituted it from the beginning to be a radical lifestyle to change the way that men and women lived. I talked to the men about Simon the Lotus, one of the twelve. He was a zealot. That mean that he, means that he had taken an oath to kill every Roman that he could possibly kill. He carried a dagger tucked in the back of his waistband, under his robe, following the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There was a man that had a vow to kill every Roman soldier. Was he radical? You better believe he was. But along came the Lord and said, Simon, come follow me. He said, wow, that's radical. <laughs> you mean you're going to take me? He said, yeah, come follow me. You're not wanting me to renounce my vow? No, I just want you to come and follow me. That's radical. You see, today, we've got this idea that we've got to get everybody Pentecostalized before they become a part of the church. We have forgotten our radical roots. The Lord didn't look for theologians. He looked for everyday humanity. He picked out businessmen. He picked out tax collectors. He picked out zealots. He picked out tax collectors. He reached out to every, oh, he reached out to Mary of Magdala, cast out the devils, and let her become one of his closest followers. That's radical. You don't associate with sinners. All you do is you're Jesus Christ. He was an original radical. And his message was never intended to be about a religious experience. It was intended to be about a radical lifestyle that called a person out of the world and the way that it lived and said, take up your yoke and follow me. I'm going to make you something you've never been before. Listen, McCormick's Creek. God is calling you to radical Christianity tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, the sad thing about our churches today is that they're being filled with people who think they're getting radical when they stand up in a church service and shout hallelujah. When they run the aisles once a month. Hey, that's not radical around McCormick's Creek. That's normal. Oh, y'all should have responded to that one. <laughs> That's not radical. That's normality. Hallelujah. Radical Christianity is root Christianity. It's not normal as far as the secular world is concerned. It's also not normal as far as the church world goes. Radical Christianity is believing that there is a God who can do the supernatural. Radical Christianity is having folks stand. And with a message like I preached this morning, folks standing to their feet and saying, I agree with that. Folks standing and saying, I believe that. Folks standing and saying, hey, I've never heard it before, but I'm with you, preacher. I don't understand everything, but I'm with you, preacher. That's radical Christianity. Hallelujah. We have those who, who are more satisfied with their lukewarm relationship with God. Status quo, maintaining it instead of having a real revival on their hands. That are more content with Sunday nights that can be measured from... Oh, help me, Jesus. From the time that's on the program for service to start to the time that it is supposed to terminate, the very idea that you don't know when you're going to get out of church. Hey, going back to our roots, let me tell you something about the old time Pentecost. It's radical. There was no such thing as a preacher preaching a 30 minute message. 
Old Brother Oscar Voga said, if a man doesn't have more than an hour's worth to say, he ought to keep his mouth shut and stay seated. I'm here to tell you, that's radical today because everybody is geared to 15 minutes, to 20 minutes, to 30 minutes. And you let somebody like me get up and start preaching and they think, oh God, here comes that radical Mosby because he forgets about time. He looks at his watch and he forgets what time he started. I'm here to tell you that it's time for radical Christianity to begin to spread. Hallelujah. Now, if you're sitting here and you're saying, well, I'm opposed to radical Christianity, there's just some things that we don't want going on around here. There's just some folks we really don't want in our church. There's just some situations we really don't want to have to handle here at McCormick's Creek. Boy, it got quiet. We're not for all this fanaticism. Woo! We don't want jailbirds here. We don't want convicted felons. We want acceptable behavior. We want folks that follow the rules. We don't want fence jumpers and line crossers. I'm going to preach to you and tell you exactly why Jerusalem didn't send the Apostle Paul out. Because the church in Jerusalem was not radical enough. I'll get to that in a minute. Hallelujah. There are those who are going to oppose radical Christianity. Let me tell you that. But radical Christianity has met its opponents again and again in every generation. There are always churches that God has had His hand on that have been radical. And He has blessed them with revival. Radical Christianity is what drove the early century saints to the catacombs of Rome. They didn't fit. All they had to do was just agree for just a few minutes to say, well, we will worship these idols that Caesar has. Now, we don't have to do it for long. We can recant as soon as we're out of view. We will say we believe, and then we'll walk away, and we won't believe. So, therefore, it will be all right. And God knows our heart, and He knows the only reason we did this was to protect ourselves. But radical Christianity says, no, you cannot confess with your mouth in public one thing and live and believe in your heart in something else in private. You've got to become what you are. Your lifestyle has got to become radicalized. You've got to reach the point where you really believe that there is but one God. God and Jesus is His name. You've got to really begin to believe that holiness is a condition of our hearts and we want to be pleasing to God. You've got to begin to to believe that there is but one mode of baptism, and that is baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to begin to believe that God's people are going to love one another. You've got to believe these radical root ideas. And it's not enough to worship Him on Sunday morning or Sunday night. You've got to worship Him seven days a week. You ought to be able to shout and dance in your living room when you're having prayer meeting. You ought to be able to shout over your dishwater, ladies. If you're radical, you're going to praise Him anytime, any place. Hallelujah. This radical world we're a part of, they don't care. You watch them at the stoplights. They'll have it cranked up. Cities have to pass noise ordinances. We sing in church. And we sing in the shower. I'm going to tell you what, one of the greatest honors I ever had, I was at a youth camp in the Ukraine, international camp. I was the only American there, and I sang the Star Spangled Banner. It wasn't the greatest, 
But I promise you one thing, they ain't never heard it sung with more feeling than I sang it with because I am a radical American. I believe in the root values of our country. I believe that you ought to be proud to be an American. I believe you need to hold your head up. I believe when you whip that passport out, you ought to be proud of the fact that it's from the United States of America. I believe that we need to have that kind of radical feeling about our God. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I want you to know it's time for radical Christianity to begin to sweep our area. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Radical Christianity was sent to the catacombs. It was burned at the stake. It was buried under stones. It's been crucified. It's been vilified. It's been martyred. It's been murdered. It's been ridiculed. It's been rejected. It's been persecuted and prosecuted. It's been misrepresented and miscommunicated. But still, radical Christianity survives. There are still some of us that will worship God in spite of all the ridicule that will worship God in spite of all of the negativism that will still preach the truth of the gospel. It doesn't matter who agrees or who disagrees. There is still radical Christianity in existence today. And you're looking at one fluffy, gray-haired old preacher that's going to preach it until the day I die. Hallelujah. I may not be able to run like I used to. I may not be able to dance like I used to, but I'm going to praise Him with everything that is within me. I'm going to worship Him with my heart, my soul, my mind, my body, my spirit. I am a radical from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, and I don't want you to forget it. Why does it survive? Why does it thrive? That's because radical Christians are not afraid of men. The only thing they are afraid of is existing without the power of God flowing through. They're longing, hungry souls. Take everything away from me, but don't take the power of the Holy Ghost out of my life. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, listen. The most dangerous opponent of radical Christianity today is not a liberal media. It's not a corrupt court. It's not a humanistic government nor a secular society. The most dangerous opponent of radical Christianity is the smug self-satisfaction of so-called Christians who think that they have arrived and are happy to sit on a pew and to criticize others and mock those who worship Oh, dear God, that's our most dangerous thing. There are some oxymorons that exist. An oxymoron is a figure of speech that was created by joining contradictory terms. Act naturally. How stupid. If you're acting, how can it be natural? Oh, there was a deafening silence. Say what? That's a definite maybe. Boy, that's an oxymoron. This is an exact estimate. What? Yeah. Freezer burn. Fresh frozen. This is a genuine imitation leather coat. Right. Government organization. Oh, we're facing a minor crisis. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's pretty ugly. <laughs> yeah, right. Jumbo shrimp. Working vacation. And let me give you some that are more applicable. Passive worship. There is no such thing as 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 a dead church. You are either the church and the church is alive. A dead church is not a church. 
Well, I am denominationally a Pentecostal. You lie like a dog. Pentecost is not a denomination. Pentecost is an experience. doesn't have anything to do with the name over the church door. It has to do with what's happened in my heart. It has radicalized me. It's changed my lifestyle. It's modified my way of thinking, feeling, and talking, walking. You say you got the Holy Ghost and didn't change. I tell you, you'll lie about something else too. Mm. We've got to have a radical approach for a radical culture. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, all of you can quote it. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The early church started out in obedience to Acts 1 and 8, but it stopped too soon. Stay with me. They wanted to reach into Jerusalem, all right. They wanted to reach into their own kind. We want to reach all the Jews. But they didn't want to go to Samaria. Because, see, those are mixed-breed folks. Those aren't our kind of people. Dear God knows that we have got them these churches among us today. Everything really got quiet. But we don't want those homeless folks coming in. We're looking for doctors and lawyers. Those are our kind of folk. And I'm going to step on something here and I know I am. We don't want those folks with dark skin coming. We want our kind of folk. What is your kind of folk? You are sinners saved by the grace of the Lord God Almighty. Go back to your roots and realize radical Christianity says the only kind of people that the church reaches for are those that are lost and dying and undone. Those that need a lifestyle change. Those that need their situation turned around. Oh, hallelujah. Jerusalem got hung up on their kind of folk. Those that speak our language. Those that know our religious roots. Dear God, you take everybody out of this church that isn't the right kind. All of those of you that started out Baptist and Methodist and Lutheran and Episcopalian and Catholic and whatever else there is. Take all of you because, you know, your roots aren't apostolic. Dear God, that stinks in the nostrils of God. The church in Jerusalem, that God filled with His Spirit. That's what they wanted. They just wanted to reach their own kind. Let me, let me show you where that Spirit came from. Before the Lord ever sent it back, He said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Oh, we're so good. Everything ought to be restored to us. We're Jews. Yeah, you're stinking, miserable, rotten, self-righteous Jews. That's what you are. And He came in with this radical thing. The Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, showing who God has chosen. Oh, I'm hurrying. What the early church needed was a reversal of their thinking. They wanted to sit in a state of spiritual blessing in Jerusalem and have the nations flow into them. 
But Jesus wanted them to become servants of the kingdom who would leave their comfort zone and go to others just as He had left heaven to come down and visit them. Their responsibility was not just to care for the lost who had come to find them, but to seek out those that were lost and to find them. Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't go into this world and fulfill the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ, He has only two choices. Number one, He will send persecution to get us out of our ease and after our complacence and out of our own satisfaction. Oh, we don't like that. I didn't hear any amen. He's either going to send persecution or He's going to send replacements. And I don't like either one of those choices. Praise God. Nothing is secure. Nothing is permanent. Nothing is guaranteed. God didn't say that we would have His approval forever. Even if it seems to have been built by God and to have His anointing on it, only the church that obeys His commands can be assured of His continuing favor. Oh, you didn't hear that. Only the church that obeys His commands can be assured of His continuing favor. Hallelujah. It was not that Jerusalem church rejected the Great Commission. It's that they could not seem to manage the kind of vision and commitment that was required in this period of church history. So God used persecution first and then substitution when they continued to resist. The Apostle Paul had his life-changing relationship with the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was one of them. I said he was one of them. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was important. But when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, with his vision of preaching to the Gentiles, they sent him back to Jerusalem. But guess what? He was too radical for the church at Jerusalem. This is too radical. You're not going to go preach to those heathens. We don't want them in our church. They're radicals. And so guess where he got sent? Okay, I'll read it to you. Acts 11, verses 19 through 21. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Antioch was a Gentile city. Wasn't very strong in Judaism. But the hand of the Lord was with those that came and preached to this bunch of radicals. When I had my open heart surgery, I looked at my cardiac surgeon. He was dark complected, had dark hair and had kind of a big nose. And I was so afraid he was going to be Indian or Pakistani or you know, one of those guys. And so I asked him, I said, Dr. Pridgen, I have a question. Please don't be offended with me. What nationality are you? He smiled and he said, I am Armenian. And he said, I know what you were thinking. And he said, let me remind you of one thing. My people were dying for the name of Jesus Christ when your people were still worshiping pagan idols. He said, not only am I the greatest cardiovascular surgeon on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, but he said, I pray better than anybody else on this coast does. 
Here's a radical doctor. A doctor that say, I don't care what you think. I've got a relationship with God. And before I touch a patient, I'm going to pray over them. Let me tell you, that's the kind of doctor I want to give my keeping into his hands. I want somebody that's radical enough that they will stand up and proclaim their faith. Hallelujah! They went to Antioch. Church at Jerusalem wouldn't send Paul out. Paul's a jailbird. He's already been sent to prison. They had to lower him over the wall in a basket. We don't want that kind of person in our pulpit. So he goes down to Antioch and he finds that bunch of radical Christians down there. And they say, Brother Paul, we'll be glad to ordain you, to send you out. You start reading the Bible. You, you read this New Testament. You read the Acts. And you're going to find out that the church in Jerusalem ended up being poverty stricken. They lost everything that they had when the Romans take, took the city over. And they had to send out and say, we need offerings. You know who they were sending out to get offerings from? They sent down to Antioch to that bunch of radical Gentiles. That bunch of folks that said, we don't care what your background is. We just want you to have a relationship with God that you are not ashamed of. Praise God. I'm, I'm going to quit in just a minute. I'm going to quit in just a minute. I like to hear that. Of course, I am going to quit, I promise. The hand of the Lord was with them. Jerusalem never did know how to deal with the revolutionary revivalists like the Apostle Paul. He was always ignoring the rules. <laughs> he would not have been a good United Pentecostal preacher. He wouldn't have. Because every time they passed a resolution, if it didn't really apply, he jumped the fence. Everything gets quiet. When I start talking about real radicalism here, hallelujah. Now, see, we want to follow our pastor, but we don't want him just arbitrarily telling us what to do. You see, our pastor comes across radical sometimes. I mean, he gets all these weird ideas. We're not going to do it that way, but we've done it for 42 years that way. Well, has it worked? Well, no, but that doesn't matter. We're going to do it the same way because that's the way we've always done it, bless God. No, we've got to get radical around here. We've got to say, hey, it doesn't matter if, if we've been doing it the same way for 42 years. If it's not getting the job done, I'm ready to change it. I'm not talking about our doctrine. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about our methodology. Whoever heard of giving door prizes out at a marriage and family life? That's absolutely ridiculous. Last time I came, you were talking about showing that movie. Something about fireproof. And then even, even had the unmitigated gall to have drawings from online. My God, that's so radical. You better believe it is. But God's looking for some radical Christians who will say, we want to touch this world some way, somehow, and we're going to do it. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Jerusalem was unwilling to change to reach the culture of the world around them. Instead, they demanded that all the Gentiles become Jews. And it didn't work. And the same thing is happening today because change is hard. And most churches simply don't want to be uncomfortable. They just want to touch their Jerusalem and leave it at that. It's easy to pastor a church that knows where it's going. 
Brother Robertson, it's easy to pastor a congregation when everybody knows what's going to happen on Sunday morning, what's going to happen on Sunday night, what's going to happen on Wednesday night. Because if I don't like what's happening on Sunday morning, I just miss Sunday morning. And nobody gets upset. You know, you got that fanatic Mosley coming in from Mississippi, and we all know it, so we're just going to get sick that day. And we'll just stay home. Come on. And you know there are folks that do that very thing. They've got a genuine case of preacher religion because they like what that one preaches and they don't like what that one preaches. And they like the way one preaches while he's young and fiery and he's old and gray-haired and slow. I got news for you, baby. Radicals come in every size, shape, form, description, and of every age. Hallelujah. It's radical to be in a church that has no idea where it's going, but only knows who they're going with. Did you hear what I said? You know, you can drive all the way across the country with just a little narrow beam of light in front of your automobile. You just follow the the lights. We call them headlights, by the way. Don't sit here and think I'm talking about going crazy. I'm not. You drive in the darkness with just those headlights. One of the most nervous times I ever had in my life, I was coming back from Louisiana, going to school in Columbus, Mississippi, and old older car and you know, the dimmer switch was on the floor and you had to mash it. I mashed that dimmer switch and not only did the lights get dim, they went totally out. I tried stomping it, kicking it, unscrewing it, doing everything I could. Nothing worked. The lights were out. And I drove all the way to Meridian from Hattiesburg with no headlights. You talk about nervous. And I drove on a section of the interstate that was still under construction. And I'd see what looked like a bridge up ahead, and I'd stop. And I'd walk ahead of the car. Make sure that that bridge was in. Uh, You laugh, you'd have done the same thing too. That's what radical Christianity does. You say, God, you say go, and I'm going. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter whether it's pleasant. It doesn't. I'm going to go. Praise God. Oh, I'm about through. It's radical to be in a church that follows its headlights. Praise God. One of the Bible's favorite words for disciples is methetes. It's translated disciple 200 and... Yeah... 269 times, but it can also be translated learner. True disciples need to keep on learning. Some people are frightened of new ideas. I have to be honest, I'm more frightened of old ideas. Things that don't work, but we have become habituated to. As I close... The radical generation has to have a radical experience with God. It doesn't matter. Some of you old folks have had an experience with God and you count it in terms of decades. Well, I've been living for God for 50 years, bless God, and I ain't turning around. Well, you may not be turning around, but you may be sitting in place and spinning your wheels. And the dangerous thing is that oftentimes those who are ionoclast set in their ways become so resentful of those who come along that are still radical Christians. They get jealous of young folk. Praise God. This is Mosby 16 and 2. It's got no scriptural basis. It's just the way I feel. I've watched some people dress their babies. 
And they get this beautiful little baby, a year old. And they got it dressed with dresses down to their toes and sleeves down over their fingertips and collar up under their neck. And they say, well, bless God, I'm going to train my child in holiness. No, you're not. You're trying to make an old woman out of them. They're not an old woman. They're a little baby for crying out loud. We have children get the Holy Ghost and the first thing folks start doing is, well, I thought he got the Holy Ghost. Look at him. Uh Uh-uh. Come on, let's get radical about this thing. Let's start realizing that, hey, I want God to do a work in our children's life. I want them to get a radical relationship with God. I want them to be able to tell you about the Word of God. I want them to come home from Sunday school, come out of a service, preaching to you, telling you what the preacher said. Oh, yeah, they ran the aisles tonight. They always do when I come to McCormick's Creek. I love that. That's radical. You go to most churches and the idea of turning kids loose and letting them run the aisle, dear God, that smacks of sanctimonious... Oh, dear Lord Jesus, that's so, that's so irreverent. You've got to teach them to respect God. Have them sit down beside you and not breathe during church. And if they misbehave, snatch them up by the nap of the neck and the seat of the britches and take them back to the nursery and just wear them out good. They've got to learn how to behave in church. Dear God, no wonder so many of our kids hate church when they get bigger. They identify it with punishment and with torture and with having to endure. I want a radical church that's full of young'uns. I want to pastor a church that's got babies in the church. I envy you all of these infants. God's fixing to give us a couple at our church, and we're so thrilled and excited, but I'm not going to be happy until we got four or five dozen of them. And I'm not just talking about every woman in the church getting pregnant either. I want new families to come. What a radical idea. I want daddies and mamas to get the Holy Ghost, but I want teenagers to receive the Holy Ghost. I want them to get an experience with God. I want our services to become alive. What a, what a novel idea. Having churches that are, services that are exciting. Praise God. People come to our churches and they say, my, 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 your church is so full of life. That's because we're reaching out to the generation that's following us. I'm glad I'm in McCormick's Creek as I finish this message tonight. We're not going to use every method they used in Pentecost 50 years ago because they won't work anymore. I'm going to tell you what we are going to do. We're going to preach the same message that was preached in Pentecost 50 years ago because it's still a radical message and it still works. We're going to worship this way they have always done because it connects with people the same as it always did. Some of you older folks that Brother Robertson had to call out to go ahead and worship Just a few short years ago, you were one of those wild worshipers. You were one of those teenagers that would get started and they'd have to say, stop, 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 stop. And it only made you run faster. Only made you dance better. I attended a church in New Orleans, Louisiana. Brother Danny Brown had started an extension work for Brother John Cupid at the first church. Brother Danny Brown was one of the most humble, godly men I've ever had the privilege to be around. I went to a little shotgun house on a side street in New Orleans. You had to walk up a flight of stairs on either side of the doorway. When you got into the building, there was room for two folding chairs to sit side by side on either side of an aisle that was barely large enough for you to walk down. In the front of that little shotgun house, there was a single little pulpit sitting. 
I went to preach for him. And he said, Brother Mosby, let me apologize ahead of time. He said, I've got some new folks and I hadn't had a chance to teach them how to dance Pentecostal yet. I watched one old boy on the front. They started singing and he started boogalooing. And I mean, it was the boogaloo. He could do the electric slide. He could do mashed potatoes. He could do the pony. He could do the hustle and the jerk. And that big, tall, black man went into all of this. I ain't never seen. I thought he was double, triple, and quadruple jointed. But he told me about this man. He'd only had the Holy Ghost for three weeks. And on the way to church that night, he had stopped. He came in late. Took his place at the front chair. He told Brother Brown while I was standing there, he said, I had to stop on my way to church. He said, I passed my corner. My corner. Where I sold drugs for years. And he said, they got a new man standing out there. And he said, I couldn't drive by without telling him that if he'd follow me, I could take him to a church where he could get something that was better than anything he had ever experienced. You know what I told him? I said, boogaloo on, brother. Go ahead with the slide. Go ahead and jerk. I don't care. Get radical about this. I don't care how you dance, but you need to dance. I don't care how you run, but you need to run. I don't care how you worship, but you need to worship. You need to get radical about it. I'm through. Stand up, speak up, shut up, and sit down. That's what I'm doing. One of our South Alabama boys by the name of Kenny Stabler had a speedboat specially built for him. One of those cigar racers. It had three great big monster engines on the back. On the dash of that boat, it said, Get in, sit down, shut up, and hang on. I'm here to tell you that the church needs to get radical enough that we ought to be able to hang a sign on the front door saying, Come in, sit down, don't shut up, hang on, because you're in the midst of a radical group of Christians. Hallelujah. McCormick's Creek, I challenge you. Take your radicalism to another level. Step it up another notch, Brother Robertson. Brother Fox, Brother Steve, you brethren, step it up a notch. You think you've been radical before? Shift gears. Shift gears. Hmm. Now, some of you, some of you don't understand where you're at. Some of you don't understand where you're at. And I'm not advising this, and I'm not saying I condone it or approve it. But back in my young days, I had a friend whose brother had a car. A 58 Plymouth Sports Fury. It had three two-barrel carburetors on it, push-button transmission. The speedometer said 180. We left church one night in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Yeah, all you young folks don't listen to this. We pulled into that toll booth, paid the toll, And a guy pulled up with a 57 Ford in the neighboring booth. And he was one of my high school classmates. And he had been bragging about how hot his car was. Tommy looked over at me and said, do you want to shut his mouth? Yeah, I was a preacher. 
But yes, I was guilty of contributing to the delinquency of an adult. I said, do it. Tommy looked over at him and said, he showered down on that Ford, squealed the tires, and took off. Tommy reached over and pushed one. That's low. And put his foot on the floor. When we passed him, the speedometer was already at 130. We left his headlights behind, and when we crossed over Singing River Bridge, that Plymouth was pegged out at 180. Now that's radical. I'm telling you, that's radical. We've been playing games with the devil. The devil's been saying, ah, yeah, you Christians. But tonight, we're in the toll booth. And the devils looked across at us and said, It's time for the church to say, Give it to us, God. Let's show Him what the church can do. Hallelujah. It is time and high time for us to get radical in our relationship with God and take the devil on and take up every challenge because greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ quicken this message in your heart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm not going to give 